I'm fascinated by the interplay between your inner reality and your outward expression. You know, listening to this podcast, you've got an opinion of me, of you, an idea of what you think I am. But another person listening to it would have a similar yet slightly different view. And that would apply to everyone across every every spectrum, right? But the thing is, is my internal view will be also different to what you're picking up. So in reality, we never can really truly know someone else. And we never really sort of know how we're coming across. Because I might think that I'm projecting a certain type or emotionality or image. But what you're picking up will be distinctly different from that. You know, even if I, as I speak these words, even if I, as I start down this process, I can feel myself almost from like a meta perspective judging me by this same token. I'm trying to project something to you right now. I'm trying to, you know, delve deep into this. But you could be listening to it thinking a variety of different things. And that that can be very restricting and, and, and confining. And it can make me not want to act, not want to speak. Um, not just in this podcast's sort of format, but, but in any format. Because, you know, I, I ultimately have no control over how you perceive me, how you take it. And that's confronting. You know, when we're growing up, we're always told to, you know, be yourself and, and, you know, be yourself, be yourself, and people will love you for it. But then equally, as a, as, you know, as a part of the function of our schooling, we're put together with our peers of the same age, and it becomes this sort of normative function. We're all sort of like forced to sit in the same class, listen to the same stuff, associate with the same people, and thus we become sort of homogenized to the group. And then we're told, well, be yourself, be yourself. But it's like, but the group doesn't accept who I am. I don't even know who I am. So we start to conform. We start to act. We start to present ourselves as, you know, as, as, as you know, a version of ourselves, but the version of ourselves that wants to fit in. And then I think we sort of end up losing ourselves because we're not truly able to be who we are. And coming out of that, you know, when you're older and you, you can start to make better choices, you know, school, school's terrible in the sense that, you know, you're friends with people by convenience. You're friends with people by location. Now, some people will maintain the friendships that they make in school over their life, but a lot of us don't. You know, we're, we're forced to be around these people. And then when we're not, it's like, well, what do you actually offer me? When we start to get that self-confidence and self-assuredness that, you know, I am something to be valued. I am something to... My, 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 my opinions, my ideas, my beliefs, my wants, my desires are all, are all valuable. Do you accept me as who I am? I know for me that I would act a lot in school. Not Acting isn't necessarily the right word, but I would always feel like there was this barrier. I would always feel like there was this sort of block between myself and the real world. And sort of going into that with therapy and with introspection, I've started to realize that it was a form of dissociation. It was me blocking myself off from reality and stepping back and going, okay, I can't present my full self because if I present my full self, I can be attacked and hurt. And it comes from my father's household and the people there that I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel able to dig deep and 
find myself and find who I was. Any sort of venturing out of myself was you know, pushed back down. I didn't feel safe. There was, there was no way that I could really express that. So now I'm in a state where I am safe. I am in a state where I can express. And I'm starting to discover some interesting things about myself. I'm, I'm, I'm in this process of finding myself. You know, what do I actually like? Who, who am I actually internally? What do I want to be with? What do I want to be? What do I want to make of myself? What do I want to do with my life? There's this saying, it's like, you can, you know, a, a man is, and it's, you know, sexist, don't worry about the gender, you know, a person is what a person does. Well, what do I do? When I step back and look at what I do on a daily basis, compared to what I think I am, compared to what other people say that I am, they're all slightly different. And that sort of difference is 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 interesting. When I first started down this path, that difference really started to hold me back. Because I realized with my poetry and with my writing and with the podcast and all of the self-expression and you know, now as I'm starting to get into the idea of writing fiction, I've realized that the only way to write anything that's good, that anything, you know, only the way to create art that's of any worth is to really, truly express yourself, to not hold yourself back from any, any, you know, any, any ideas of other people's judgment. Because if I'm trying to conform my art to another's expectations, it's just going to fall short because I'm never going to be able to understand that other person's expectations. And even if I could, I couldn't quite hit it. And then it's not true for me. There's a, there's a whole variety of stuff happening here. And I feel like this is why art and true self-expression is so painful. I, I can sort of, you know write poetry pretty easily in the sense that I can put words that rhyme together well. But the poetry that I like, the poetry that people respond to, is the stuff that is less technically good. It's the stuff that's more visceral. The stuff that I don't think about as much conceptually. The stuff that I'm not trying so hard. When I find myself writing something and trying too hard to project a certain image like oh this will look good it, it ends up it ends up failing it has a fakeness to it and even as i'm doing it i can i'm like it's like just just stop just there's no point to this it's it's you'll produce this thing but it won't feel good you won't appreciate the end result people might go yeah good job that's you know and sort of like congratulate you but it just won't have resonance and even if it does have some sort of ability to, you know, for lack of a better expression, sell. I never find myself wanting to look back at it. The only stuff that I'm, I'm very happy with myself is the stuff that hurts. Uh, and it's, 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 it, there's such analogies to, you know, weightlifting and martial arts and all the other stuff that I go in my mind. Like, like when I find myself growing is when I'm pushing through pain, when I'm working on something that hurts, when I'm when I'm trying to 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 to, to push my body in ways that it's not used to. That's when the real growth happens, right? When I'm on the mats in jiu-jitsu gym, trying something new and failing over and over and over again. 
It's painful. It's an ego cut. It physically hurts, right? Because I'm getting beaten up. And I find the same things happening for writing. You know, like I've been in a sort of a bit of a writer's block for probably months now for my fiction. The fiction, the fiction book that I'm working on is called Lucidity. It's basically concept is that I'm trying to make a fictional universe where dreams are connected. And I've got a story background that I'm sort of playing with. And, and, and every time I sit down at the computer to write, it just, it's, it's, it's painful. I want to do something else. I want to, I want to read a book. I want to go get inebriated. I want to run away. I want to exercise. I want to do anything but be there. I, I, it's to the extent that I feel like it's costing me my mental state. Like I'll, I'll feel like self-harming. I'll feel, it's just, it's, it's a mess. So then the question's been asked to me is like, well, why, why do you do this? Why, why are you doing this to yourself? What's the point? And the logical part of me is like, well, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, it feels like it has to exist. It feels like I have to do this thing. But my God, does it hurt. And, you know, it's multi-layered and, and I'm sort of hyper aware as I'm speaking these words to you that it's, this is me just sort of rambling on the inner creative process. But it's, you know, I sort of look at writing as a form of creation and healing at the same time. And it's sort of like, as I get into that mode, I leave the the conscious logical part, the part that's sort of talking to you right now, it sort of steps back and it just, I just sort of get into this zone. And then once I get into it, an hour or two later, I come out and I've made something. And it's, it's very therapeutic. But when I look at it, when I look back at the results, and read it out loud, and go through the editing process. I'm looking at it, and I'm going, oh my god, this is this came from me. This is me. Ugh. I feel a bit like, sickened and disgusted, or concerned for myself. When I look back over my poetry from words on a page, for example, like, writing it, I wrote the poems over time, and... You know, each poem was created with that same sort of creation process. I just sort of lost myself in it and came back out. And it helped and healed and sort of, I sort of grew from it at the time. But when I was going back through it to, you know, do the editing touches and make the book and all of that sort of stuff, record the audio, it, it cut, it hurt because it was sort of like I was reopening those wounds from the, when I wasn't in the zone and it, it's it's tough so so then it's like well why why talk about it why present it why do it and 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 i i sort of find myself coming around to multiple things i feel and i I know from feedback from you guys but i i feel that putting out honest truths of inner turmoil, of past trauma, of all of that sort of stuff will be helpful and healing. I I know that that 
other people have gone through things that I've gone through and will find that by observing my process, at least, they may get a process of self-healing and may be able to find some sort of benefit from it. Now, when I when I re-look at it, it's almost like the product itself, the, the poem itself, isn't important. It's almost like the what I've created is important. It's the process of creating it that is the therapeutic thing. But I feel like I must share it with you because there's this risk of when you're writing and going through this self-healing process that you're looking at what you're writing and you stop because you're afraid of what's coming out because you see the the, the words on the page just coming to you and coming out of you and then you start self-judging and if you know this has happened to me multiple times you see it coming and then you look at it and it freaks you out and you stop now sometimes it's wise to stop because by expressing it and putting it out on the page it's too painful because you're not ready but at other times, it's a real shame. It's a shame because it would be beneficial to get it out. It'd be beneficial to put it on the page and release it. That was the process that started my first book, Under the Influence. And it was releasing all, not all, a lot of the, 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 the issues that I had with my father. And sort of sort of processing it and getting through it. There's a book that... I've only read once and I'm really going to, I'm going to go back to it because the book itself, the storyline at least, I wasn't a big fan of. <laughs> the author is Paula Kaleo and the book is called This Here. And the story itself, mediocre in my mind. I'll, I'm going to reread it and I'll look at it again. But the, it has a concept in there where there's this sort of society or a group that sort of tell over and over again their past trauma they, they they say it like a like, like like a poetry group or like some sort of i don't know like a like a back in the day podcast sort of like what i'm doing here and it's it's part of the inspiration but they, they say it over and over and over again and the idea is is that as you say your truth it becomes the world's truth and you're able to let it go and through telling it through expressing it through saying it through giving it away you, you cleanse and heal and comes to terms. It's a healing process. And the merits of the book aside, that stuck with me. That part of that book resonated so stupidly hard. And it sort of set me on this path of just self-expression and putting it out there and inviting people to put it out there. It's one of the reasons why I started the Share Your Story project on my website where people write in and share their stuff like I'm doing. And I'm just put on the website as a place for other people to see that, you know, other people are going through this process, you know, to, to express their past trauma or their, their battles with addiction or sexuality or whatever, whatever thing that they need to express to, to heal. And because I wanted to provide that platform and, and because I felt that by reading other people's stories, it would help me to heal as well in the same way that I express myself. I say all of all of this in the sense that you may find yourself wanting to talk 
not even write, just speak it out loud. Or not even to speak it, just to think the thoughts. And the thoughts that you're thinking can be confronting. You know, you might have such anger and rage and pain. And, and that might make you feel like you want to do something to others or to yourself. And even thinking those thoughts, you block them off. But how can you, how can you heal? How can you hope to heal if you won't even give yourself space to think? I, you know, for a long time, I, when I was growing up, I was a fan of Linkin Park. Their first two albums and their first three albums really, really spoke to me. And when the lead singer, Chester Bennington, committed suicide, I wasn't able to listen to their their uh, their albums anymore. I just I blocked them off. I couldn't do it because when I what I used when I was young, like the words and the lyrics and the sound and everything, it just spoke to me. It was like it made me feel connected in a way that I just didn't. I would dissociate. I would block it off. I block life off. But their words got in, and I guess you know, in my pain, I listened to them, and then. Once he passed, and from my current perspective, I wasn't able to look back and re-listen to it because it was too painful. However, very recently, I was thinking about this here, thinking about what I do online and my books and all of the stuff that I do, and I realized that in the same way that writing poetry or words or whatever like that would reclaim my past, re-listening to them, you know, listening to those songs again, from my adult perspective, from my safe perspective, it would hurt, but I can reclaim that part of myself. I can reclaim my past. I can put myself back in to that state a little bit and heal and grow and sing along. You know, and it, it, it made me connect with a couple of people from my past who would listen to those, to Linkin Park with me. And uh, my, my wonder is, is, Yes, he ended his own life. Yes, he, 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 you know, obviously he was troubled. And, and re-listening to the words, I, I, I was, you know, I wouldn't say a dumb kid, but just ignorant and self-centered or just didn't have the interpersonal capacity. I don't know, but, you know, I didn't realize the artistry that went into creating music. I just listened to it and connected to it. But upon my reflections now, it's obvious that he was singing for himself and, you know, expressing his own inner world and all of that sort of stuff. So then I can't help but wonder, you know, when you become a singer, you're forced to keep, you know, popular singer, this is, re-sing the, the songs over and over again, the ones that made you famous, right? So all of the songs like, you know, Faint and Paper Cut and Place for My Head and Numb and somewhere I belong and what I've done, all, all of the songs that I listened to, that band would have sung them again and again and again and again. So then it's like, well, was that therapeutic or was it painful? Did it bring them joy or at least healing to express themselves? I don't know. And then the response was, well, obviously it didn't. As in, look at the result. And my counter to that is, is like, well, 
if Chester wasn't able to express himself, if he wasn't able to, to, to sing it and to connect with it, would have it happened earlier? Would that have just been another one of the many, many people that take their own life because that's just, you know, sadly a very common thing, particularly among young men. Now, yes, he ended up doing it anyway. But would it have happened sooner? Would have he had, you know, you, you look at interviews with his family and you, you listen to the rest of the band members play and all that sort of stuff and you, you can see that he did, you know, obviously was struggling, but he did have some joy. He did, you know, have happy moments in his life. He did have clearly a successful career. Did it help? I... <laughs> I can't answer that, obviously. I can only speak to myself and know that letting it out, having an outlet, being able to to, to to push my thoughts out and sort of detach from them and let them go and release that pressure, that has helped. So with that in mind, I want to read you two things. The first one's going to be a poem from Words on a Page. And the second one's going to be some writing from, not necessarily from the book that I'm going to do, but writing, sort of getting myself into the groove. So anyway, this is word from words on a page. It's called Flashback. There's nowhere you can run to, nowhere you can hide. Not when your problems are coming from inside. You cannot escape them. You cannot leave. Now that blood is running down your th- sleeve. Don't try to face me. Don't try to hide. Mummy, daddy. Why weren't you by your side? By my side? Do I want to sober up, or do I want to die? Blank memories, pain, watching his hand touch up my thigh. I couldn't say no, I couldn't flee. Nothing I tried broke his hold of me. Years have passed, but his grip remains. He took my body, my soul, my brains. So now I'm sitting here, stoned and alone, trying to remember if I ever felt at home. So, some some context for for that poem. I wrote that when I was stoned. I wrote that as a release. It was not easy. But I know that, knowing my mental state at the time, that had I not have written these words, that the, the, the absolute power of the emotionality of that moment may have caused me to do something to myself that may have had permanent consequences. Self-harm or a suicide attempt or something. I don't, don't, you know, like just nothing good. I, I was in a place of rage and anger and, you know, danger to myself and the people around me to be, to, to, to be quite frank. So then, putting it onto the page and, 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 and putting it into words and being able to step back and detach from it and get it down helped. Now, the result of that poem is not pleasant. You know, I'm not sitting here reading it going, hey, birds and flowers, right? It's, it's painful. But it 
helped. It kept me alive. It kept me from harming myself. So like I said, I, I share these things as a way to show what can what can help. Now, reading it to you is both embarrassing and confronting and makes me, puts myself back in that mind frame and back in the mind frame of a flashback and of the trauma that I went through and of the the mental state that that happens and of, of a variety of things. You know, even rereading it costs me. But like I said, like what's presented in the Zaheer, it's helpful. It is healing. I will come out of this stronger. I I, I want to suggest that if you do want to go down the path of writing therapy, that you, you should have a system in place to support yourself. So a therapist a good support network from friends or family, a good system of self-care. So you'll do this, then you'll do this, then you'll do this, then you'll do this, right? Things that you can do in order to help yourself. And be aware that whilst it will help, it may hurt you in the short term. For me, that poem actually helped me in the short term in the sense that it was a good distraction. But if you, if you, you know, choose from sort of like a quote unquote sober, mentally stable mind to start digging into and writing your past, you risk bringing up stuff. But if you've listened this far to this, this podcast and you follow me, you may have stuff that you need to bring up anyway. It's a form of self-therapy and self-care. I've got a Skillshare course on writing therapy that I'll put a link down in the show notes that I sort of go into my process of how I do writing therapy for myself um, in depth in terms of all of all of the factors. So so if, you, if you're interested in learning my process in depth, click that link. Um, as always, as with everything I do, you get free access for two months. Um, like I always say, information should be free. So click on it, watch the course, do the therapy, but make sure you've got stuff in place prior because there is a bit of a there is a bit of a risk that you're dredging up stuff. And, and and although I put my content out there, I don't recommend that for everyone. Not because of the 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 you know the beauty of the pros or any bullshit like that. Like I I don't always like, you know, how it turns out, but more so because it's confronting. More so because you know, you, you're risking interpersonal relationships and vulnerability and a whole variety of things you might not be ready for. You, you don't have to do anything. You could write poems and then burn them. Most of the therapy, most of the healing, most of the growth comes from actually writing it. So now on to more of a, a, a related but lighter note. Like I said, I've been feeling quite quite a lot of writing block. I would go to sit down and write, and there'll be a block. I sit down and write, and there's a block, and it's just painful. Because there's always something better I could be doing. There's something other stuff that I could be making. I could. Uh, there's just multiple reasons why you, that my brain will justify why I shouldn't try and write anything other than 
you know, like mental health stuff. Like, why, why should I, why should I try and get, why should I try and express it? There's just so much blocks. And then you get through that block and like, no, I'm going to do it anyway. I need to, I, I need to do this. And then the next part goes, up, yeah, but you're not good enough. You're not a good writer. You don't know how to do this. And then, then, then I'm like, okay, I need to start, you know, reading how to write, you know, books on how to write. And I've got a bunch and I'm going through the self-study. Or I need to listen to podcasts or I need to practice all this other stuff. There's all of these excuses that pop up. I could spend my time working and earning money. I could, you know, shoot another podcast or make another Skillshare course or, you know, th- th- there's a plethora of things that I could be doing that would be quote unquote more useful. I could be exercising. I could be meditating. I could be reading more fiction. I could be spending time with my family. <sighs> then I sit back and go, but there's something here. There's something here that I need to pull the thread on and get to. I don't quite know what it is, but I know it's about down this lucid dreaming path. This, this, there's a, this is something that wants to exist. And every time I try and force that writing, you know, I was writing, I was, I, I've gotten about 15,000 words done, right? And then I got it into my mind that oh, this book needs to be like all these other books that I'm reading. You know, I need to sort of imitate this, you know, I saw the way that, authors that I'm reading write and I'm like my book isn't like that my characters aren't like theirs you know I saw holes and issues and basically I psyched myself out and added to that the this 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 pressure this pain this 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 hurt <laughs> that instantly comes and self-doubt all of the issues that I've got from writing I just couldn't do it but now Given the extra time in lockdown, I've sort of got my, my myself sorted. My my routine, my lockdown routine has been put in place, and I'm like, stuff it. I've I've just got to do this. I can't, you know. Part of part of my push is with all the stuff I'm doing online is is you know get your mental health sorted, but then start following your dreams. You know, life is both, right? Follow your dreams because what's the point? And that process will cause your mental health to to be a factor. So you got to deal with both, right? All of that in mind today. This morning, I woke up at six and I know myself well enough to know that if I've spoken to my partner and my kid and looked at my emails and deal with all of the life stuff that happens, my creativity and my ability to write drops. I'm most creative in the morning. So I got up, 6am, had a coffee, sat down and just tried to start. And it was the same feelings. You know, it took probably 30 minutes to half an hour to 45 to just start. And then when I started, it was a lot of false starts. And then I wrote this. Now, this won't, like, you know, when you see the final product of whatever lucidity ends up becoming, this may or may not be a part of it. But that's not the point. The point is, is that I was able to get some stuff down on the page, on topic, and get that started, that process again. So, the the concept of lucidity, like I said, is our world, but dreams are connected. A small group of people, very small, are able to interact through their dreams. And, you know, modernity and a lack of mindfulness and technology sort of cuts your ability away, but you can get better at this process. And there'll be a whole sort of magic system to it. That's not the point. Lucid dreaming, dreams are connected, internal worlds, that whole thing. So, what is a dream? A newborn is an interesting creature. She's just a collection of sensations and primal urges. Her vision is the open space of awareness. She sees her hands, but she doesn't connect to them. They move independently of her. She feels when they are touched, but that feeling is, 
feeling is external to her. Sound hits her ears, but enters the brain uninterpreted. She makes no distinction between the dream world and waking reality. It all appears the same to her. Sights, sounds, and sensations come and go. She's the witness to them all. Then she grows. She learns to recognize herself in the mirror. She gains control of her body and learns to label the parts. She recognizes the familiarity of her room, her family, and her life. She learns to distinguish between reality and the dream world. Early on, this connection is tenuous, but as each day ends, her grasp on reality solidifies. Upon waking, she learns to let go of the dream world. She learns to forget it, to discard it as a pleasant fiction. Upon waking, she'll explain to her parents with joy about the wonders of her inner world. At best, they'll placate her, absently concurring with a simple, yes, that's wonderful, dear. At worst, they'll outright shut her down. She'd still be deceived, however. Nightmares hold a particular kind of sway. It's the emotionality, the intensity, the drive to escape and survive. Primal urges expressed. Even so, when she wakes, she'll be told that it was all just a dream, and that sometimes dreams can be scary. That they are not real, and that she is therefore safe. She learns to forget. With every discounting of the dream world, she's training herself to forget her dreams. And when it's her turn to be the parent, she'll tell her daughter the same. Don't worry, dear. Dreams can't hurt you. They're not real. Look, you're forgetting it already, aren't you? Her society is not equipped to handle the dream space. It can't quantify it, define it, or monetize it. For the most part, it's outside of, our, of scientific scrutiny. Completely subjective, and thus unverifiable. To even consider that a dream world is real is heresy in the highest order. The problem is that the dream world operates outside of the rules of waking reality. For instance, in the dream space, time isn't linear and reality isn't consistent, at least not to the mind of someone grounded in waking life. Things simply happen. Time dilates. Matter is freely manipulated. Premises and queer logic easily accepted. Upon waking, she compares the dream events with her concept of reality. Upon seeing the clear inconsistencies and impossibility of the dream events, she discards it as impossible, because it is impossible, but only in waking reality. The practiced dreamer, the Onironaut, knows different. He embraces the inconsistency and rolls with it. He recognizes that he's dreaming. He sees the inconsistencies to waking life, but rather than turning from them, he embraces them. He realizes that our waking reality is just as odd as the dream world. If a lucid being was to dream of our world, they would be just as disbelieving of our universe as we are of theirs. They would balk at the monotony of it all. The sheer linearity and continuity would seem alien to them. Upon dreaming, a lucid being would find itself in the same body, performing the same job with the same family and the same thoughts. Every night it would be basically the same, and this similarity would be evidence of our reality's falsehood. The lucid, the lucid being the lucid being's reality is a trip. Their reality has some hard rules and many pliable ones, but far less than ours. It is for this reason that the Onironaut is drawn to substances, psychedelics that twist and alter reality, pulling at the hinges, opening their mind to different possibilities, showing them, showing them different possibilities while awake. Unfortunately, these experiences come at a dire cost. The insights gained don't last, and like the dreamer, his experiences are discounted as a pleasant byproduct of a chemical reaction. In the time before modernity, dreams held significantly more sway. Prophecies and predictions came from interpretations of the dream world. 
Soothsayers and mystics embraced substances and the dream world with equal vigour. They knew, and their societies accepted, that the dream would have that the dream world has value. In their own crude manner, they embraced it and gained value from it. Those who could see, those who could remember, and those who could control, and those who could control dreams were praised and prized. We have lost this art, trained it out of us. We are encouraged to ignore. Yet still, yet it still sits there, latent, ready to be tapped. Unfortunately, rekindling this connection is perilous. All, all successful aeronauts have taken the journey through the hell of their mind, through apparent psychosis and into the void of dream space. By embracing the reality of the dream space, by accepting its lack of rules and structure, they, list, they risk losing their grasp on waking reality. They see their fallen brethren committed to asylums and imprisoned. Those who walked into the recesses of their mind but stopped halfway through. Those who found such darkness inside themselves that they couldn't overcome. Those whose floodgates to the subconscious once opened couldn't be closed, except through death. In this society, there is a great risk. You will not come out of this unchanged. In order to let go and accept the dream space, you can't possibly remain so grounded in this reality. Yet the art of lucidity requires you to do just that to simultaneously hold the reality of both universes in your consciousness, to realise that no matter where you find yourself, you are, in fact, still dreaming. The waking world and the dream world are two sides of the same coin. Neither has more value than the other. Neither is more real than the other. They're just different. A true practitioner of lucidity is always in a dream state. They recognise that our waking world is another's dream world. They have no preference, no concern for where they find themselves. They just are. They accept the constriction of one side and the freedom of the other. They also accept the leaks between the worlds. The visitors from one to the other. The visions, the powers, the insights and the prophecies. The hard rules as well as the soft. Like the baby, they are the open space of awareness. What they are, what they are aware of changes, but not them. They wake as awareness of reality. They dream as awareness of reality. And from this prior state, they observe it all. It is for this reason that many enlightened lucid, lucid practitioners are completely passive. By recognising themselves as the space of the world, they lose all desire to take action upon the world. By recognising themselves as space for the dream, they lose all desire to take action upon the dream. They are reality. They are dream. They are. So, like I said, that's... That's sort of my 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 re-entry into the world of of what I hope to become a novel. Now, it felt good writing that. It felt good to be able to re-embrace it. But once again, as I was writing it, a part of my brain was doubting. It was saying to me, "Stop! Don't. This is useless. It's boils." But. Because I hadn't faced the world yet, because everyone else was asleep, because I was feeling good, because I meditated, because of, you know, force of will, because of a variety of different things, I was able to shut that voice up for an hour or two and write. Now, I'll leave it upon you to judge the worth of that writing. You know, is is that piece that I just read to you any good? Is it going to be kept in the final product will it help sell the book will you know is it of worth 
I don't know. I just know that the act of expressing that piece has value. The act of putting it, you know, putting pen to the page and of getting it down and the process has value. The, 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 the act of writing, put simply, feels good. So with all that in mind, I, I encourage if you've got something inside you to express, please do. Um, it will help. And, and uh, I, I choose writing as my primary form of expression. Well, really one of, you know, like, like writing this podcast, you know, even, even speaking this podcast to you is a form of expression, right? Me just, you know, basically ad limbing. I have some ideas of what I wanted to say, but it's sort of, you know, if you look at the start of the podcast to where we are now, it is a form of expression. And it is a form of healing. So what I'm getting at here is, if you like the idea of writing, write. I like the idea of putting it into words because it sort of grounds it and sort of detaches you from it. But, you know, people have found similar benefits from dance or from art or from, you know, really most anything can be can be a form of expression. I choose words. And like I said, I choose to express it and share it, uh, modeling the behavior. Now, just a couple of things here. I'm going to put the poem that I read before and this piece up so you can read both of those things You know, if you actually want to read it. Um, I'll also remind you of the Writing Therapy Skillshare course. And on that topic, I've also got a bunch of courses on lucid dreaming. I like the concept of lucid dreaming as a practice itself beyond, you know, writing fiction, all of that sort of stuff. We sleep for, you know, a third of our life. Wouldn't it be good to have some access to that? Some control over our dreams to reclaim some of that past. It's interesting. It's fun. It's engaging. So if you're interested in learning how to lucid dream, you, you may lucid dream just because you're, you're, we're thinking about dreams right now. One of the ways to, to, to get down this path is to just think about the concept of dreaming and then you'll find yourself questioning reality. Like, am I dreaming right now? And that question, you'll look around and you'll be like, oh my God, I am bam, you're lucid. You've got control of your dream. Now there's ways to, you know, when that first happens to you, you'll get surprised and you might fall out of the dream. You'll wake up and you'll be upset. So there's a bunch of different ways to get lucid. So in the Learn to Lucid Dream courses on Skillshare, I go into that. So if you're interested in the Writing Therapy course or the Learn to Lucid Dream course, I'll chuck the links down below. Like I said, free access. I'll put the links to both of those pieces up so you can read it if you like. And I suppose the final thing I'll say is Thanks for listening. I hope you got something out of this. And if you did, chuck a review on the app, whatever app you're listening to. Give it give it whatever stars you think it's worth. Give me a little review. Tell me what you're thinking of it. Because it really is a way to let me know what I'm doing here is valued. You know, If you value what I'm doing here, review it. Tell me. Um, it helps me to feel good. helps me to know that I'm on the right path. helps me to hit the mark if you want more of you know this sort of content. Write that in the in the in the in the in the review if you want more political stuff or more you know s- specific sort of med- meditation stuff or more self improvement whatever whatever you've heard me talk about put it there if you like me reading the chapters of my book and you want me to books and you want me to do it more put it there if you want me to read less put that there so like I said if you if you if you can spare the thirty seconds chuck a review it yeah it really does help 
So with all that in mind, I hope you're all safe and um, not going too insane over this quarantine lockdown period that we're finding ourselves in. And if you are, write about it. Catch. Catch.